0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet. Here we go. So good to see you. Welcome back to another audio adventure on Insight. I'm Chris VanVleet, thanks for being with us as we once again do another deep dive into an incredible story with a fascinating person. And ah, this is such a good one today. If it's your first time here, take a second right now to click subscribe on the podcast player of your choosing so you don't miss out on anything that we have coming up. And by the way, thank you for helping to make October the biggest month yet for insight in terms of downloads. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing because you're on this ride with us that November's going to be even better than that. And then December is going to be better than November was. And then all the way into 2022. Ooh. So thank you so much for being on this with us. And I'm excited for today because Mirren Fader is such a great storyteller She's a long-form sports writer. She's worked for Bleacher Report. She's currently a staff writer for The Ringer. She's also a New York Times best-selling author for the book, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, which you can get on Amazon right now. She's just so good at telling interesting and compelling stories about people. And the stories are about the people, and they just so happen to play sports. And by the way, she's doing this in a mostly male-dominated profession, and she is the one who's dominating here. And she's just getting started. You can find her on Twitter at Mirin Fader, M-I-R-I-N-F-A-D-E-R. And you can check out her website. It's mirinfader.com And if you're not already following me, I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and my website is ChrisVanvliet.com. I also just added every single podcast episode ever under podcast.chrisfamvleet.com. Took me a little while to set that up, but podcast.chrisfamvleet.com if you want to check that out. Manfred Husu, Manfred Hudsu is our fan of the week. Thank you for leaving this review that says, so educational and inspiring. This is an awesome podcast. It's not only motivational and inspiring, but also life-changing. I came across Chris Van Vliet in his Insight podcast when I was going through a really tough time balancing the effects of COVID on my parents and my family. I was mentally in a really dark place when I came across his show. Now I'm better. I get lots of uh, experience and inspiration and motivation. This podcast is so educational. Thank you, Chris. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to not only listen to the show, be on this journey with us, but also for leaving a review. So, I I read one on every single episode, so if you have a free minute today, take some time to read a review on there or write a review on there. And also, if you have left a review and I didn't get to it for whatever reason, go in there, change a few words, maybe add your name to it, and it repopulates to the top. So take a second today to just go in and like add an emoji or something. All right. You want to talk about hard work. And not taking no for an answer, that's what this conversation is all about. And it's going to motivate the poop out of you. Yep, the poop out of you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mirren Fader. Mm -hmm. Mirren, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for your story and how you got to where you're at right now because... So much of it like mirrors mine. And I love how when you were starting off your career, you just like blindly sent out emails like saying, can I just come work there? And most people didn't write back to you, right?
1: Yeah, I would say way more than most. uh, Pretty much everyone didn't write back to me, except for one, the Orange County Register proceeded to professionally stalk them for the next six months. And um, yeah, I just kept writing people, writing people, literally anyone with the written word, I, I probably cold emailed.
0: And so you're scouring the internet, just looking for any email address that you can send this to?
1: Any email and Twitter, you know, Hey, um, I, you know, finding editors, Hey, I have a pitch for you. I'd love to DM. And, you know, then you get in the DM and you try to find the email. I mean, it's hard, you know, as you know, a lot of these jobs aren't posted. So you have to almost just like introduce yourself and offer yourself up. Like I'm, I'm willing to do anything.
0: Yeah, well it's two part. A lot of them aren't posted and number 2 is a lot of the people who are in those positions have been in those positions for 20 25 years and there's just no openings.
1: Exactly. And sports media is even harder because there's um, you know an emphasis on TV and and broadcast and radio and that's a hard route too as you know, but the writing part is is you know jobs were dwindling and so it was I, knew, I always knew I wanted to be a feature writer. So, you know, I was going to hustle to try to get whatever opportunity I could.
0: Yeah. And I feel like the written word in terms of like the journalism <laughs> world, I think it took, it took a big hit when the internet really took off yeah. 20-ish years ago. And then over the course of the internet really taking off, it went down to like these short, like three paragraph stories. Yeah. And that was it.
1: Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to do that. You know, I, I didn't want to be a beat writer. I didn't want to be a breaking news person, which is the hard path on its own. But, you know, I just fell in love with long form writing and features. And I, you know, I still believe those stories matter. So for me, even though that wasn't exactly a popular um, desire to have at the time to want to be a long form writer, I, I didn't care. I was, this is what I wanted to do. And I was going to go after it wholeheartedly.
0: But if we take this back, the real passion, the real dream for you was you wanted to play basketball. You yeah. want, you were going to be a WNBA star.
1: Yeah, I know. And, um, you know, I didn't get the memo that you have to be tall to do that. Um, but I... <laughs> and how tall are you? I am 5'0", even. Uh, I mean, you know... There was Ivory Latta. There was Shannon Bobbitt. There were a couple women doing it, but oh my God, it was such a hard road. And, you know, my the joke in my family was like, my mom was like, when you get to college, you're going to grow. And um, it never happened. Um, so I really did push it as far as I could. You know, I was that girl with a ball at her hip every day um, in middle school, high school, you know, I was obsessed with basketball. I really, really wanted it. Um, but it's I don't know it's just informed everything that's happened after in my journalism career you know
0: but I feel like there's there's another like lesson here for people to really extract from this and it's that like when one dream ends that's, that's not the end like another one can begin so yeah like where did you fall and start falling in love with writing
1: Yeah, you know, it's literally that demarcation, like you just said, it happened my first year of college. So I was playing for Lewis and Clark College in Oregon. um, And I really was just having an awful experience. And it was just like, so clear to me, basketball was ending. And I took this woman writer's class there. And, you know, when the teacher, the professor was just talking about writing and reading, and I was like, wow, like, I love that too. You know, maybe I could do something with that. And just kind of like seeing one door closing and the possibility of another door, it just kind of planted the seeds and, you know, leaving a sport is really, really painful. And I think dealing with the loss of identity and things like that over the course of, you know, that first year of college. And then into the second, I I really started, you know, transitioning into thinking like there's other stuff out there. Um, But you never think of that as a child, you know, you're just 10 years old and you want to be the next Diana Taurasi. You don't think of what's next, you know, until you have to.
0: Yeah. So you start getting passionate about writing and there's going to be a lot of people that are watching this, listening to this right now who have a passion right now. They don't know where to begin. So where to begin for you?
1: You know, I think the best advice I always have is like, if you're waiting for the answer to come to you of like, what should I do with this? Like thinking it's just going to pop up the next morning. It just doesn't, you have to go out and do stuff and get experience to see if you like it or don't like it, or you want to go this way or that way. I did a lot of, um, I applied for a lot of internships and I didn't get most of them, but I did get one and it was actually a broadcasting one um, with ABC in LA and or Burbank, I guess it was. And I really didn't like it at all. I hated being on camera. <laughs> I, hated it. And that was good practice though, because it was, it further made me figure out like what I want to do and what I don't want to do. So you have to do things to figure that out. And it's funny because I, nobody wanted to hire me to get experience. It's like the chicken or the egg. You know, how do you get experience to get the opportunity if you don't have experience to get the opportunity? And how will you ever get the opportunity if nobody gives you an opportunity? It's it's like the chicken or the egg, right? So mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of free work. I did obituaries, which has nothing to do with sports. Wow. Um, yeah. So, it you know, it was lit, it was experiences like that, like slowly doing, th- you know, doing things I wasn't interested in to find what I wanted. And like we started with when I finally got that chance at the Orange County Register, Um you know, I, I just would pitch every Monday to them. I was a staff writer for four years and I was not doing interesting stories. I was doing Little League. I was doing high school. I was doing junior college. I was literally doing everything that nobody else wanted to do. It was like the bottom of the bottom. But for me, it was like, okay, but I have this dream to be a features writer. So even if it's not sexy subjects, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. And that's, you know, never think an assignment is beneath you.
0: Do you remember what your first story was at the Orange County Register? Yeah.
1: I do. It. Was, I had to go to um, Cal State Fullerton's uh, baseball clubhouse and I was so intimidated because Cal State Fullerton baseball is so good. And it's like this powerhouse that often goes to College World Series. And I had to do a, a little feature on one of the main guys. And I think I was like shaking.
0: <laughs> so, so your first story was a feature then? It was a feature, but it was a little... You know, it it wasn't
1: like the stuff I'm doing now, you know, 5,000 word takeout. It was probably capped at like 600, but I tried to be, (laughs) I remember I tried to be very flowery with the language and featurey, you know, first story out of college. It was probably, it's
0: probably. That's the first break. (laughs) Orange County registers the first break. Then what's the the big break? What really takes it to that next level?
1: The big break, ironically, came from one of my biggest disappointments, which was getting laid off at the OC Register after four years. And I became a full-time freelancer at that point um, for ESPN and, Ble- and Bleacher Report. And a couple of months after that, Bleacher Report was like, do you want to go to Lithuania? Um, we'd love for you to profile Lamello Ball because he, you know, his dad just pulled him out of high school and sent him to play professionally in Lithuania. So that was my big break. I went to Lithuania for almost a month and um it was a big story because it was very controversial what was happening with lamelo at the time and when i came home from that that was the career defining story and i got a job at bleacher report after that so finally i got the job um cuz you know it felt like i wasn't going to make it you know i had lost my job at oc i wasn't Again, you know, I was doing so many stories for ESPN and Bleacher, but neither would hire me for like over a year. And then finally this moment happened and it changed everything.
0: With everything you're saying in your story, this one line, this one quote from, I interviewed The Rock and he told me the best thing and uh, sometimes the best things in life are the things that don't happen. And I feel yeah. like that applies so much to your story because you look at The Rock, he was, he wanted to be an NFL player and right. he wasn't even good enough to make it in the CFL. And right. A lot of people could have gone, well, I tried. That was it. Didn't work out. Let's move on. And I feel like your story is so similar to that where you're going, I wanted to be a basketball star. Didn't work out. Look what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. I, th- I was thinking about that exact thing recently because, you know, what if, what if that never happened, right? Like what if my basketball mm. dream did come true? Like none of this would happen and I wouldn't be the person I am. I think dealing with so much disappointment made me an empathetic person and reporter, which really informs a lot of the work I do, you know, writing these stories, these human-based stories on these athletes and all these experiences kind of led to that, you know, and I, I, when I lost my job at the OC register, everyone around me was like, this is the best thing that will ever happen to you. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is the worst. Like, this is absolutely the worst. Like I'm, how am I ever going to get hired again and blah, blah, blah. And it's true. Like the things that didn't happen really made way for things to happen. What if I never take the job? What if I never, what if that never happens? I never get sent to Lithuania. I never get staff at Bleacher. I never find myself in the house of Giannis, you know, For a story for Bleacher. The book never happened. You know, it's like a series of things. So I I don't think there's a preordained order. I just think life happens and you
0: have to move with it. When you're sitting on that plane flying to Lithuania, are you like, oh my God, I can't believe someone has paid for my flight to, (laughs) to make, to like, to write
1: yes but it was more like holy shit i'm terrified you know it was just (laughs) like this is my moment to prove myself and i'm so scared you know i didn't have a translator and a lot was riding on this trip because you know like i mentioned about the job situation i was like i really need to prove myself this is the biggest story of my life like it's go time i'm shaking i'm nervous and you know just just getting to lithuania was nervous like you know I got to make my connecting flight. I forgot which country I was in for the first leg, but it was a lot of like, holy crap, like this is happening. You know, like I haven't traveled by myself outside the country. So it was just a very exciting, nerve wracking experience.
0: When you set out to be a sports feature writer, like that's kind of like saying like, I want to be an astronaut because (laughs) it niches down so much, right? Like I want to be a reporter. Well, that it's already tough enough to be a reporter. I want to be a print reporter. Oh my gosh! Now it's even more difficult. I want yeah. to be a sports print reporter. Oh geez! I want to be a sports features writer. It's like, well, there's like eighteen of you in the world,
1: right? Not you quite, know.
0: but you know what I mean.
1: Oh, but literally, that seems high. That number. Seems high. <laughs> um, it, you know, it really was not seen as a good idea. You know, at the Register, the big thing was like covering high school football games, and I. I literally had no interest in doing that. Like, you know, I, the thought of just like sitting there, taking my own stats, doing a game story. And I've done obviously a lot of game stories, but I just, it didn't hit me the way features hit me. And it, it was my passion. And um, yeah, I did go after something that wasn't really popular, but at the same time, I really paid my dues. And I did a lot of work that, you know, people wouldn't find exciting, like profiling a four-year-old baseball team or a junior college hockey team or, you know, just like random stuff, but it was still a feature, you know?
0: And when you're willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do, you're going to start to get the results that other people aren't going to get.
1: I hope so. I mean, I think it did happen that way, but it didn't seem like it was happening that way. Like I, it felt like I was never going to break through, you know, being in a you know, you know, being in LA, it's this super competitive market. There's the Lakers, there's the angels, there's the Dodgers, there's all this stuff going on. And I was like, wow, like who's reading my story on this random 12 year old volleyball player, you know, (laughs) but I think when you have a passion for something, it just drives you, you know?
0: The thing that I'm fascinated about with storytelling is both me and you could experience the exact same thing today. And yeah. then when we go to tell our family about it later, or our friends about it later, we'll both tell it in slightly different ways. Yeah. Maybe the story is still the same in the end. So for you, when you're writing a feature, where do you begin?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love that idea that you were just talking about and that's why I think that profiles are fluid. Like you could write the same story, 10 different ways. So there's never a right answer or wrong answer. It's just kind of like how your creativity goes. But the first thing is just reporting. Like I have to talk to so many people that are close to the person, including the person before I even think about writing it. It's almost like two different arts combined in one. There's the art of reporting and then the art of writing and a lot of my stories I talk to, you know, 15 people, 30 people for the book on Giannis. I talked to 221 people. So I think it's just being like super relentless in your reporting first. And you know, the second thing is is I like to think of writing features like movies. So I think, what are my best scenes? What are my best images? What are my best anecdotes? And it, it involves just a lot of thinking and organizing those moments before I even write a word. You know, I think like writing is the least part of what I do, which sounds crazy. That is true.
0: So do you like think of, about, think of it like a movie like beginning, middle and end?
1: Yeah, I do. And like, have you read a story where the beginning so good and then it, it gets boring and then there's like nothing in the middle? Then
2: Absolutely. you stop,
0: right? Yeah. That's
1: my biggest fear is that they're going to stop. You know, I mean, the middle can't be missing. And so I focus a lot on the gut of it. I call it the gut of the story, the middle. Um, sometimes I even start there. Like I'll just mm. start the piece in the middle because I need to know what that most important part is. And like, of course, you want to nail the ending, right? You got to nail the kicker. But if you don't have a middle, you have nothing. They're not even going to get to the end. So, You know, and the reason why I started looking at stories like movies is because Wright Thompson, you know, my favorite writer, my hero is—that's what he talks about all the time. And I, I think it just it changed the way that I viewed storytelling. You know, we have to Mm. we have to capture people's attention. Like they're going to give up on us if it's not (laughs) compelling in the first five lines.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because in journalism school they would say in broadcasting lead with your best video first, Mm -hmm. and then in print writing they would say like the most important stuff first, because if the story gets too long, we're going to cut off the last paragraph or two or whatever.
1: Right. Or if you, you know, the, the problem is if you give, if you give all your amazing stuff first in features, then what are you saving for the end? So it's almost like this bargaining that you have to, you know, what is going to entice someone to keep reading, but not give it all away that you don't have anything towards the end. So I just think like, it's all about choices, right? like you as a writer, you're making these intentional choices. And if you, I don't know, if you don't have something that hooks people right away, they're giving up. And if they're giving up, it's done. So I think there's a lot of pressure with long form writing because you have to make someone like interested. You have to write something that is insightful and compelling. So, I mean, it's, it's hard, like it's really hard.
0: (laughs) And you have to get people to open up to you. That that right and, and like that's such a that's such a difficult thing because them right. opening up begins with them trusting you
1: right and if they don't trust you you don't get the information so you have nothing to write so no. that's, why, that's that's why I said like it's a whole art before you even get to the article you know and a lot of these people don't want to open up because they're famous and they have a lot of you know things on the line and so I think for me I try to just write human-based stories that almost like empathize with the person and, you know, listen to their stories. And, you know, I feel thankful that they do share their most vulnerable moments. And that's what I think makes a feature story successful is like, can you reveal something super vulnerable about someone that we think we know, Mm. but really show as close as you can to like what they're like as a person, not just an athlete.
0: The other problem when you interview somebody who's famous is they've done a lot of interviews before. (laughs) Right. So how do you get to, how do you get them to talk about something they've never talked about before or talk about it in a way that they've never talked about it before?
1: I think I don't ever really lead with sports questions. Like I think, and it, like Devonte Adams, when I profiled him earlier this year, it was very funny. He's like, you forgot to ask me about Aaron Rodgers. And I was like, Oh, whoops, you know, versus like everyone else would like lead with Aaron Rodgers. But I was like thinking of all these other personal things, you know? So I think it, it, they just, they know that I'm sincere in that, you know, oh, of course I ask about sports. There's so much sports through my sports features, but I don't, I think from right off the jump, they realize that I'm writing more, I'm trying to learn about them as a person, not just as an athlete. So like my Pat Beverly interview, we started with like, tell me about your mom, tell me about your upbringing. And I think they're just like really shocked at that. They're like, oh, she wants to know about me, like my family, where I come from. And I think, I don't know, that leads to it. I also think it doesn't happen quickly. Trust is not gained within the first five minutes, the first 10 minutes. So it does require a lot of time spent with somebody to really get to know their story.
0: How much time do you want to spend with someone when you're profiling them? I I know how these teams are like, they want to give you 10 minutes and that's it.
1: No, they want to give you three minutes and say, (laughs) good luck, lady. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So I think uh, for me, I've been on both ends of the coin. I still am on both ends. Sometimes I'm fighting for 10 minutes, but it it requires hours. You know, it, it requires hours. And I've you know, I've been fortunate to spend, you know, like a couple of weeks with Lamella Ball for one story in Australia, you know, a day with Brandon Ingram for a story on him, you know, but I've also had to piece together features with like 10 minutes with, you know, Aaron Donald. And I think like the features really suffer when you don't have that time, but... The other thing is, and this is why I feel like long form storytelling is valuable. You get to talk with all the people that know him mm-hmm. and everyone around this person has a story about him. And that's why when athletes just take to Instagram or take to social media, whatever to say their stories, it's a one-sided thing. It it's it doesn't have the rich layers of interviews from secondary sources that really give you a sort of 3d view of a person and a 3d view is is what people want
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast What you're so good at is you're so good at writing stories that make people care about these people that they, they might not normally care about or care about a sport they might not normally watch. And it's because you humanize these people. And I think what's so interesting is usually when we're watching a sport, especially football, they're just a jersey number and a helmet often. We don't, you okay. like, don't even see their faces so often. Right. You're able to like strip that all away and strip away their fame and just get to like the root of who this person is.
1: Thank you for saying that. I mean, that's the goal, right? Like, I I think I've talked to enough mothers of these athletes to know that like, no matter how much money they make when they walk in their home, they're still their son, you know? And it's like, when you see that, you're like, oh, he still has to take the trash out. You're just like, okay, who cares if he's like the best point guard in America? You know, the trash is due. And I think it just, I love that because you know, why do we see movies? We want to see ourselves in movies. Why do we read stories? We want to see ourselves. And like, I think it's cool when you feel a connection to somebody you root for or see on TV, when you say, wow, that person's really close to their mother. I'm close to my mother. I respect him. He seems like a really humble dude. You know, like, I think we try to search for what makes athletes unicorns, you know, like, wow like i've never seen that before the way he does this but i I think the universal is so much cooler than the unicorn if that makes sense you know like what makes someone similar when we should have nothing in common with these people the whose athleticism is uncharted whose fame is insane but they're just people like when these men talk to me about like fearing losing money or crying after disappointing their fans or feeling like failure, I just look at them and I just think, Oh my God, like I felt that before. Like Mm I felt like a total failure and I'll never know what it's like to walk in their shoes, but I think it's important to show the humanity and the similarities. Mm.
0: What's been the best advice that you've received in your career so far?
1: Um, It sounds really corny, but it's true. Um, Be you on the page. Like I think uh, a lot of us are taught to look at our idols and try to emulate them, which is totally true and worthwhile. But at some point, you don't want to try to be somebody else. And I think a lot of my early writing was trying to sound like people I really admired. And when I kept trying to sound like them, it took away from figuring out what I sound like on the page. And I think like be you on the page, just like really helped me see that, you know, I have a voice too. And it's time for me to learn what that is. Mm -hmm. And you learn what that is by taking risks on the page and trying things and trying to be a little bit more voicey, a little bit more confident, even when you don't feel confident. So I think like trying to figure out what your own voice is, is the best thing you can do
0: there's this great quote that I love. It's, I don't know what I think until I write it down. And (laughs) I I wonder how much that, you know, this is your job, right? I wonder how much that applies to what you do.
1: No, it does because you have to like the whole, okay. Basically the whole thing about writing is failure. The whole thing from start to it, the the story starts out terrible. It becomes slightly less terrible. It becomes like somewhat not terrible. It becomes like, (laughs) Mm, like passable, it becomes acceptable, becomes good. And I don't know what happens after that. I never think my stories are great. I aspire to be great, but I don't think of it like that. But my point is the whole thing is about failure. You constantly run up against yourself and you can't, you can't do it unless you do it. It's kind of like what you just said. Like I, the story, when people say the story writes itself, I'm like, Have you ever written a story? This thing never writes itself, you know? So you have to like, you have to do it and fail and see what doesn't work. Like the structure I often pick for a story does not end up being the structure that it is, but I can't know it doesn't work until it's on the page. So you can either run from that exercise and feel like, why would I want to do a job where I'm constantly feeling like a failure or you can be a psychopath like yours truly and believe (laughs) and love this process and just say like, damn, this is so hard, but I love it anyway. I'm going to get it, you know, and like keep challenging yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the perfect word here is process, which you just said. Yeah, it is. So if it's a process, how do you know when it's over? How do you know when like it's done?
1: Because it's due. Like, I think I never, like, I when it's funny, I told my mentor when I was doing the book, I was like, how do you know when to just like stop reporting? He's like, well, what's your deadline? And I, was
0: like, oh. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So it's due. I, you know, that, I guess that's when it's done because it's the same thing. Like when somebody wins or loses a basketball game, I think, well, they just ran out of time. And one person had two more points than the other team is sometimes it's just done. And that, that, that's what it is with deadlines, you know? Um, sometimes though, like you do get a feeling like, okay, I feel like I get it. I feel like I get what the story is about and I can't start a story unless I know what it's about. Like when I'm profiling LaMelo ball, it's not a story about like, Oh here's this up and coming phenom who's so great and amazing. Sure that's true but it's really a story about being young and famous on the internet and feeling exploited and it's about father and son relationships. It's about you know not being able to live a normal life because you're constantly under the gaze of the press. Once i know that that deeper layer of what it's about then i feel like okay I, I'm gonna stop reporting. I need to. Yeah. I need to do this.
0: Yeah. In sports, there's that old adage that you're only as good as your last game. Oh my do god. Do you feel the same? You're only as good as your last article.
1: No, I do, and it's I, it's very toxic. And I'm working on this because that because I'm a former athlete. That phrase was ingrained into me from childhood, yeah. and I feel that pressure with my stories. And I ha- I'm learning. I'm in the process of learning that that's not. Um, it's just not healthy because sometimes you do an interview with somebody and maybe they're having a bad day and the interview just wasn't as fruitful and you just didn't get what you needed or access was shut down on this story and you couldn't get this, or maybe you just weren't good enough that day and it just wasn't as good, you know, like, but it's hard because I am a perfectionist and I am really hard on myself and I do feel that way. So I'll let you know when I have an answer to that.
0: I mean, (laughs) No matter what, though, you'll always be a New York Times bestseller.
1: I can't. I, I just can't process Like,
0: like you could write 17 other books that maybe don't do as well. I hope that they certainly do as well or better. But if they don't, you'll always be a New York Times bestseller.
1: I can't get oh, It's like it's there's a weird dissociation happening, it's like, is there another five foot curly head woman around writing about sports? Do I have like a twin <laughs> out here doing this? Because how did that happen? I don't know.
0: Well, congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank do you. Do you have
0: another book or 10 or 17 in you?
1: I would love to do 17 more books. I'm trying to figure out book number 2 currently. I have an idea. I'm not sure if it's if it's the one. I sent a couple feelers to the person and his agency to see what they think. So, I'm just really excited. Like I've always, you know, we talked about a lot of my storytelling stuff, but book writing is something I wanted to do maybe even longer than that. You know, I am a huge book nerd. Um, I just think athletes deserve books. Uh, I can't, uh, it's so weird to me like how somebody could be like 26 years old and have a whole life ready to be examined. You know, they've lived like eight different lives. Some of them, you know,
0: Yeah. what book are you reading right now?
1: What? I'm reading Anita Hill's book, um, which is different for me because I'm usually a fiction person. It's non-fiction nonfiction. Um, I'm almost done. It's pretty good. It's called Believing.
0: Okay. What would you say is the book that you gift to people most often or recommend to people most often?
1: Oh God. I And I am a lover of gifting books. I've been giving out um, Sigrid Nunes' um, The Friend. And hmm. it's a book about grief, but also there's it's like an undercurrent of love for writing in there. Um, I feel like the past two years, obviously with the pandemic has been this like longing for connection and feeling cut off and sad. And even on your best day, you feel sad because we're just like in this time period. And this book like really was a bomb for me and I've gifted it to so many people. So yeah, I I love gifting that book.
0: I will. I will have, I I love reading. So I'm going to have to, uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Read it, yeah. Read it, books. <laughs> who who really inspires you to be better every single day?
1: Gosh, I mean, Ray Thompson, when I look at his writing and I look at mine, I'm like, oh my God, I have so long to go. You know, he's just amazing. But in my personal life, probably but my parents. Um I have such a close relationship with my parents. They live like 10 minutes away. I see them all the time. They just inspire me and, um, you know, they love me even if an article is good or bad or whatever. It's not about that. Same with when I was a basketball player and um, the fact that they've supported me through all these changes, right? Like first dream didn't happen. They supported that dream. Second dream did happen and they support that as well. So it's just cool that, you know, love and worthiness is like not dependent on what you do or don't
0: achieve. So. Yeah. Well, second dream is happening right now. It's happening. Thank God. (laughs) What's the article that most people talk about with you or most people reference or years later is still getting read all the time.
1: I think for sure the Lamella Ball one that we talked about, but most recently the Gigi Bryant one, um, I essentially wrote like an obit feature a couple weeks after um, she passed. And that was the hardest story of my entire life. I was so emotionally attached to that story. It was so painful to do. And I was so afraid of not doing a good enough job because it mattered so much. Um, So I think that one... When people when people mention that to me, it means a lot because, of course, the subject matter and wanting to do her story justice. But the lead of that story is so personal to me um, because it's it's basically me talking about what it is to be a young girl loving basketball, which goes back to like everything we were just talking about. Yeah, I feel like my two worlds really collided with that piece.
0: What I love is when you go to your website and you read your bio, there's like a comment section below. And it's so funny how many people will find one of your articles. I love it so much that so they need funny. to know who wrote it. Then they Google you and then they find your website. And then they leave a comment on your bio going, Mirren, I love this story about intername here. And then they do a deep dive into all of your stories.
1: I know it really means the entire world to me, you know, and like, they write like a paragraph. I mean, it really just makes me emotional, because like, I never thought anyone would read my work, right? Like, other than my mom, like, I I just, it's so nice. It's, it's just so nice. People, you know, the internet is like a terrible place, but it can also be really nice.
0: Mm. Who's the person you wish you could profile that maybe we've only had one or two layers of the onion peeled off and you really want to get in there?
1: Oh God, I need to profile Luca. Like I've been pining for this profile for so long. I don't understand how he's so famous and we know nothing about him. It's (laughs) kind of like the Giannis effect. Like like truly, like what do we know about him? Like all I know is where he's from and it stops there. Like I don't... I don't understand that at all. Um, So that's like a dream profile. And then the second one is Vanessa Bryant, which I've been also trying to for a very long time. I don't know, like stories, you know, you see the ones that are published, but people never see the ones you chase uh, in your time by yourself. And I chase hundreds of stories that never happen. So for all the ones that are published it's like a book of stories that never occur. So it's, you know, and maybe some of them you get halfway reported in and then
0: they die for whatever reason. Um, Not the person, the story dies. The
1: story, the story, the story dies, not the human. Um, So yeah, it's a, it's a whole, it's a chase. Like I said, right. It's weird. Writing is the least part of what I do. I spend Mm. my days reporting, hoping it'll turn out.
0: So what makes a great story?
1: I think that's a really good question. I think a good story hits you in some way. You don't have to be emotionally affected on the verge of tears, but you need to like, I want you to feel something. Like I want you to come away with some like feeling, you know? And then the next time you see that player on TV, you're like, remember this guy, you know, when he was seven, this happened. God, he seems like such a, this guy, like I want you to feel something and remember something. That's a good story.
0: What about someone who's not with us anymore that you wish you could spend a day with and profile?
1: Tyler Skaggs. I spent so much time with his um, mom and fiance, and it was so hard um, because yeah, it's
0: such a sad story.
1: It's such a sad story, and it's so hard to write about somebody who doesn't get their say. Mm. And I think that, to me, that's why I wrote it. I saw basically that his life was reduced to a TMZ headline he's so much more than angel's pitcher dies of overdose at age 20 something. Right. And I just wish that like, I, I just wish that he was here to, to tell us who he really is. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. That'd be a great one, but the story you did about him, just incredible.
1: Thank you. I, yeah. Why do I put really hard stories? I don't know. I don't
0: know. Growing up here in LA, loving basketball, what's the most memorable sports moment for you?
1: Oh my God. It was the Robert Ory three. Um, <laughs> the, um, the Kings one. We kicked it out and he goes like this. He's he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, that is just like seared into my mind. I love it. Oh, God, late long time Lakers per- fan over here. My God,
0: it's so funny how those moments like shape our lives. I know I grew up in Toronto, mine is uh Joe Carter hitting the World Series winning home run in 1993.
1: Amazing, it's, and you never is, forget it, I, of course. And then yeah. you're
0: like, Oh, one day when I grow up, maybe I could do that.
1: It's just insane. Like, I remember watching it, and like, you, you saw how he just did the movement. I feel like I, I copied him in that moment. <laughs> And I was like trying to do it.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it.
1: How embarrassing, but yes, clearly an an impact.
0: (laughs) Clearly. Look, I have, I've loved this conversation. I think there's so much here that no matter what your passion is in life, there's the ability to get there. And I think that it's so important. You mentioned this earlier, just take that first step, just like, Just chase, chase that dream. Take that first step of that 10,000 mile journey.
1: Right. Why can't it be you? Like, I think about this all the time when I go to bookstores and I would do this, I would see so many books and younger me would be like, well, I can't be on that shelf. There's so many books. And then I got older and I realized, no, there's so many books.
0: Why can't that be you? You could be one of them. I, I say this all the time with podcasting. I say, you know, anyone can have a podcast. Yeah. Anyone can write a book. Literally, literally, you can. That's for that's that's the best part about it, and also the worst part about it. I, feel. I know
1: it's like democratizing, but the, is the quality there? But still, you know, like it's who was to say a five foot woman failed basketball dream would end up writing, you know, a book on an NBA MVP? Like nobody would ever say best selling book. Sorry. That? Thank you. Nobody would ever think that I wouldn't think that my family wouldn't think that nobody would ever think that it just goes to show like your life can turn around. You know, when I was depressed about basketball and not making it, I never thought that I could ever be happy about something after that. And then it turned out, I love writing way more than basketball and I'm so happy that things didn't work out so they could work out in a new way. So yeah,
0: I agree. And this is just the beginning too like you've got another i don't know 40 years in your career
1: well you put the 17 books on my shoulder so i think you're i've not got just to make 16 it more yeah i, I got to make it happen somehow
0: <laughs> i end every conversation with the same question because i start and end every day with gratitude i say out loud three things that i'm grateful for mm-hmm. so what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now
1: wow i love that so much um I'm grateful for my family. They are always supporting me. I'm grateful for my hands. You know, I I too am a gratitude person. I always think, well, what if I just like injured my hand? I could never write again. I'm very grateful for my hands, that they work. My body works, you know. I'm a healthy individual. I get to write and I have these working hands. Um, mm. The third thing I'm grateful for is food. I'm a big baker. I'm a big... <laughs> Um, cook, home cook. And when I go to the grocery store, I think like, wow, how superfluous you're just getting extra flour to make this thing. But like, think about all the people that don't have money to get basic vegetables. Like you're so lucky. Like you're just, you're so lucky. You know, you have plentiful food. So I'm grateful for those things.
0: I love it. I'll add one more. in. I, I feel like you should be so grateful for the things that didn't happen.
1: Yes, it, I am. Now that I, now that I feel emotionally healed from them. Yeah. yeah,
0: cool. yeah. Miren, thank you so much. This thank has been you. such an enjoyable conversation. I don't know why we didn't do this in person, but we should next time.
1: I know we should, because there's lots of coffee shops full of writer podcaster types, and there's friends we got to meet. So thank you so much.
0: There you go, my friends. Thank you to Mirren for joining us and for sharing her story. I hope that it inspired you to take some action in your life, to take that first step in your life. Give her a follow on Twitter at Mirren Fader. Check out some of her great articles at mirrenfader.com and you can buy her book, Giannis, the Improbable Rise of an MBA MVP on Amazon. And you can follow me at Chris Van And I'll leave you with the quote that I mentioned During this interview, it's from Joan Didion, D I D I O N, who said, I don't know what I think until I write it down. Be great. Be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.